this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Good morning and thanks for tuning in. We're picking up our study in Proverbs chapter 1 today, continuing our series. This is part 3 of our new series in Proverbs. I'm looking forward to studying with you. And again, we're going to begin in Proverbs chapter 1. So last week we took a look at that first speech from a father to his son. Remember, there's a series of 10 speeches in Proverbs chapter 1, chapters 1 through 9, before we get to the actual Proverbs, or what we think of as Proverbs, those little short one-liner sayings that are easy to remember and teach some general truth about life and death and how we're to conduct ourselves. And so we're before we get to that second speech from the Father, we're introduced to another voice within the book of Proverbs, and this happens early on in chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. And this new voice that's introduced is that of Lady Wisdom. And I want to take just a moment to think about wisdom in biblical terms and, and recall we've, you know, we've discussed this before on the program, I think in our introductory study, but let's just remind ourselves that, that wisdom biblically uh, does not refer to knowledge or just any kind of mental activity. So we might think of someone who is wise, um, who is, we think of someone who is wise as also someone who is very smart. And while that may be true, Wisdom is not just about smarts or, or having sense. It has a moral character to it in the Bible. Wisdom is more like a skill that the Bible is calling us to attain. We can think of it as like the application of, of knowledge. So not just, not just knowledge, not just a kind of mental exercise, but the application of knowledge and weaving what we've learned from the Bible into our, our lives. The Bible is calling us to attain and use Use wisdom, put it into practice. Uh, so, using wisdom and pursuing wisdom certainly, you know, it involves mental activity and seeking knowledge. We see that in the Book of Proverbs, but it goes beyond that, really. And it's it's seen, it should be seen in all of one's conduct, not just in the way we think or what we say. And James says in James chapter one, "Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom." And that's actually James chapter 3. I said James chapter 1, but that's James 3.13. And so James there is associating wisdom with behavior, right, and conduct. Show that you're wise by the way that you live and the deeds that you do and the gentleness of wisdom. So in the book of Proverbs, those who live with integrity and uphold justice and the fear of the Lord and wherever you see people living, living that way, living righteously, they are the ones who heed Lady Wisdom. And this passage in Proverbs chapter 1 is the first of four poems that are interwoven in chapters 1 through 9 with those 10 speeches from the father to his son. So each of those 10 speeches usually begins somewhere along the lines of, my son, hear my voice, or my son, listen to your father's instruction, or my son this, or my son that. So um, those that's how those 10 speeches begin. But interwoven in those ten speeches are these kind of poems or interludes in which we hear the voice of Lady Wisdom. The Father personifies wisdom as a woman. And if you look in verse 20, let's just read the text 
together here. This is Proverbs 1, 20, and we'll go down through the end of the chapter because that's the entire speech, this first poem from wisdom before the second speech from the Father begins in chapter 2. So Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 20, Wisdom shouts in the street, she lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. And when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. So that's the first poem from uh, Lady Wisdom. And it's, as you can probably tell just from listening to it, most of the consequences in those verses deal, uh, excuse me, most of the content rather deals with the consequences of refusing to listen to Lady Wisdom. And de- it's detailing all these different things that are going to happen. And at first, in verses 20 through 23, notice that we get this description of, of wisdom's pursuit, right? She's, uh, she's crying out. Uh, she's, she's calling. She's shouting from the street. She's lifting her voice. We get all these pictures of, uh, of a woman calling out for people to listen and, and to pay attention to her. And remember, as we saw in this text, too, that wisdom is a quality that has its root in the fear of the Lord. Right. She makes mention of that because you rejected knowledge and you did not choose the fear of the Lord. So I will reject you. I will laugh. And all these consequences come come as a result. So when wisdom speaks, when Lady Wisdom speaks in this this text, she sounds a whole lot like a prophet who's evoking the words of, of the Lord. We have to keep that in mind as we study this this text. And so she's calling out. She wants she wants people to listen to her. She's crying out for people to listen to her. And she concludes this speech with the grounds for listening to her. But first notice who she's uh, addressing. She's calling out to the simple. Did you catch that? She said, how long, O naive ones, will you love your simple-mindedness? I'm reading from the New American Standard uh, Version in verse 22. But your Bible might say, O simple ones, how long will you love being simple? And this isn't simplicity. When she says simple ones, uh, she's not talking about simple in the sense of, of being uncomplicated or undemanding, uh, kind of like in, you know in the song by Leonard Skinner, "Simple Man." You know that that's you know that's simple in a good sense, right? We can use that word "simple" and in, in a good good way in a good sense. Uh, but that's not how she's using it. She's using it more along the lines, the Bible's using it more along the lines of naive. And that's what your text may say. And in fact, that's how the New American Standard renders that word. 
naive. How long will you naive ones be simple-minded? So this is simplicity or being simple in, in the sense of uh, lacking experience or lacking sense, being naive, and specifically lacking, we're talking about moral sense, right? Lacking moral sense, a kind of uh, discernment and prudence and good sound judgment about life and making good choices that lead to uh, spiritual success and pleasing God and, and things like this. That's the kind of uh, simplicity, naivete that she's that she's talking about. And she's saying, how long are you going to stay in this this position? You're you're vulnerable. And the idea is, since the naive that she's calling out to, since they're not devoted to wisdom, they're going to be vulnerable to the preaching of the devil. And they're going to make poor choices, and it's going to wreak havoc on their lives, physically and spiritually. But, but the point stands that there's hope for them. There's hope for everyone if they will but turn and heed the call of wisdom. Right? That's what she says there. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you, and I will make my words known to you. In verse verse twenty three. So there is hope. And there's overtones. If you think about those words, turn to my reproof, I will pour out my spirit on you, I'll make my words known to you. There's overtones there, not just in that verse, but I think throughout this entire poem from Wisdom, there's overtones of the gospel call, right? Paul describes the gospel. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he has a lot to say about wisdom in that text. And so if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to depart from Proverbs for just a moment because I think we're going to see some similarities here with the call of wisdom and the call of the gospel and what Paul has to say about the gospel and learning of Jesus Christ. So this is in the middle of a lengthy discussion, but just look in verse 23 and follow along with me in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23 and following. He says, We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. So there's one of our words already that we've seen in Proverbs, fool, foolishness, uh, and playing the role of fool. But to those who are called, Paul says, as he's talking about preaching Jesus Christ crucified, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, There were not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that God may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And so the overtones and the similarities that there, that we see in the gospel call, and the gospel itself with what wisdom is, is saying, is that in the call of wisdom still has application now for us to, today, because if we're going to heed the call of wisdom, if we're going to heed the call of, of wisdom, that's not merely an invitation on, in Proverbs chapter 1 to heed the, the words of the book of Proverbs only, but really all of Scripture, including the gospel, which Paul says is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then he speaks of Christ who is wisdom, who is wisdom. He became to us wisdom from God. 
And he'll tell the church at Colossae that Christ, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so the overtones here we hear in, in this this speech from wisdom should take our minds to the gospel call and the wisdom that is to be found in the gospel and the wisdom specifically that's to be found in in Christ. Notice that the promise from wisdom is that she will pour forth her spirit upon all those whom will listen. And given that all wisdom comes from God, if you just look forward one page to Proverbs chapter 2, we'll see that in verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so even though the father is personifying wisdom as a woman here, he's calling out in the, in the streets, he's going, he goes into further detail, right, throughout Proverbs as to how you, how you seek wisdom, how you pursue it, and that's by heeding the words of God because he is the author of, of wisdom. And so given that, if we're going to pursue wisdom, if we're going to seek wisdom, we have to entreat God for it. We have to go to him in prayer and, and through the study of his word to attain the wisdom that only he can give. James again, in James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That's the same promise we see in, in our context in Proverbs chapter 1. I will make my words known to you, Lady Wisdom says. I will pour forth my spirit on you. We can have a spirit of, of wisdom. And that's an invitation then to go to the pages of Scripture, to prayerfully approach the, the book of God and the knowledge of God and ask for the wisdom that only He can give to help us understand how He wants us to live, how we can make good, solid choices, be discerning people, be prudent people who have good judgment about life and make good choices so that we can have success spiritually and have fellowship with God and be pleasing to God. And notice, too, the, the second point, which is really the main thrust or a big thrust of this poem from Wisdom, verses 24 through 31. They're all about the consequences. For those who refuse this gracious invitation of Scripture from Wisdom to seek her, to pursue her, and, and find the success and prosperity physically and spiritually that she affords. For those who refuse that, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences because God's patience, God's patience with fools who despise wisdom's voice will finally run out. Eventually it'll run out, right? Because you did not, because you did not hear me, because you refused, verse 24, when I stretched out my hand, no one paid attention. You neglected my counsel. You did not want my reproof. What happens? I will laugh at your calamity. Judgment will come suddenly and unexpectedly like a storm. Did you catch that imagery there that she uses, that the, that the, that the Father uses as he's speaking as, as wisdom? It says, when your dread comes, verse 27, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity like a whirlwind and distresses distresses and anguish come upon you. It's a sudden, unexpected thing. That's usually how it pans out. Things are going so great, we think we're doing just fine without God. Many people can be good without God, so the bumper sticker says, but who gets the last laugh? Wisdom. God. Wisdom will have the last laugh. All those who mocked wisdom will themselves be mocked. Because they refused to listen to the words of God. 
Wisdom declares that when calamity falls upon the scoffers, they will call upon me, but I will not answer. There's a lot of uh, prophetic sayings. Uh, you look through the book of Proverbs, and, you can, and if, you, if you have a, a book that has marginal readings or a cross-reference column perhaps there with, um, with this passage, you'll probably see a lot of cross-references linking to different writers, prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, who will say something uh, along these lines or that they will they will choose, they will seek, they will diligently seek me, but they will not find me, verse 28. They will call upon me, but I will not answer. God says the same things to those who uh, spurn him and, and those who reject his, his counsel, his teaching, his instruction. So when d- disaster overtakes fools and scoffers and everybody who was lollygagging along thinking they were doing so good without God, they're going to frantically seek a way out when trouble comes. They're going to frantically seek and search for wisdom. The answer, you know, we talk about, you know, the the answer to, to life or the, the secret to life, and they're going to diligently try to find how to get out of this circumstance that, that they're in. But it will be too late for them. There's a finality to to all of this, isn't there? And this is true in life, I think, in this life. It's it's certainly true in death. There comes a point when your time is up, there's no do-overs, there's no second chances, and no pity, no pity from God who called you to obedience your entire life. On the day of judgment, those who refuse to obey the gospel will have passed the point of no return. And those who fall under God's judgment in hell will find no opportunity to seek wisdom or repent. All they can do is cry out for deliverance from the terrible consequences of their folly. You know, I can't help but think about Luke chapter 16 and that story that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus, one who goes to paradise and the other who goes to torment. Lazarus is in paradise with Abraham. And the rich man is in torment, and he's calling out. Remember in Luke chapter 16, I think it's around verse 24, he's calling out, and he wants Lazarus to, to dip his finger in water and, and to come and cool his tongue because he says, I'm in torment. I'm in torment here in this flame. I'm in agony in this, in this flame. And Abraham says, no, it can't be done. It's impossible. There's a great chasm that divides those two places, and nobody can cross from one to the other. They will reap what they have sown, or, or in the words of Lady Wisdom, if you drop down to the last few verses of chapter 1, they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. So this foolish refusal to listen to God's instruction will not only reflect back into our life on earth and and here and now and bring distress and misery, but it will also be reflected into eternity as, as well. Because if we foolishly will not heed wisdom, then ultimately we're going to reject Christ who is wisdom, Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. And that's how the Bible couches fools. That's how the Bible defines those who are foolish as those who hate knowledge, those who reject the fear of the Lord. And so really the first step to hearing wisdom and accepting the wisdom of God is to accept the fact that we have been, we've been foolish. To accept the fact that we really don't 
We really don't know anything. And if a man is left to himself, we're going to get it wrong. Proverbs 12, 14. There's a way which seems right to us, but its end is the way of death. But if we can acknowledge that and, and understand we've been foolish and and understand that we just can't get it right on our own, then we're we're on our way. We're on our way to wisdom and seeking wisdom from God who will not refuse us. Remember James 1.5. He gives generously to all without reproach. And the other promise, the, the last promise that we see from wisdom in Proverbs 1 and verse 33 is that the one who listens to me, this is the grounds for which she's appealing to people to, to listen to her. The one who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. And isn't that a wonderful promise? The one who finds the wisdom of God lives securely and finds deliverance in a large degree to this life. Of course, there's exceptions to that because life is unpredictable. We can't control everything. There are circumstances beyond our control, right? James says, what is your life? But it is a vapor that's here for a little while and then it's then it's gone. Luke 13, 3, Jesus says that when the Tower of Siloam fell on 18 people, they weren't worse sinners than everybody else in Jerusalem. It's just life is un- unpredictable. Things happen which we have no control over. We don't know when our last step is going to be taken. And so our responsibility is to be ready. And the way that we get ready is by seeking the wisdom of God so that spiritually we can be secure and find deliverance in in the last day when we stand before God to be judged, whether that's when he returns or when we die, right? Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed once for man to die, then after that comes the judgment. And so this is an urgent plea of of wisdom, right? I think that's the emphasis with the shouting and the crying out and the the utterances that that wisdom is, is making all over the city, right? This is urgent. She's wanting people to pay attention. And that reminds us, should remind us of Jesus, who's really wisdom incarnate, because God is wisdom, and Jesus became wisdom to us, Paul says. It reminds us of Jesus. He's full of love and compassion for sinners, and he's crying out to people to come to him and find deliverance. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. This is one example where we see Jesus calling people to him, imploring them to find rest in what he offers. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is promising this security. He's promising this rest for those who come to him, and he's urgently pleading in the way that wisdom is on Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 1. And they do that. <clears throat> Wisdom does that because she doesn't want anyone to perish, and God is the same way. Jesus is that way too, Second Peter 3, 9. He's not slow as some people count slowness, but he's patient toward all because he doesn't want any to perish. He desires that all come to repentance, not willing that any should perish. And so he's pleading with the lost. He's pleading with you and me, and he, he's promising to abide with those who seek him. And we see that, too, in wisdom's words, right? I will pour forth my spirit on you. And we see the same from Jesus. And he gives life to all who come to him. And as 
hopeful and as wonderful and, and as great as that promise is, and it's true and it's there for our taking if we will just come to him as he says in Matthew 11, Jesus also warned that the season of mercy will pass. That eventually there comes a point of no return. Either that's in death when our life comes to an end and we depart, or when he comes to judge the world. The season of mercy will will pass. Hebrew writer says he'll, he will come again for salvation, not to deal with sin. That's the, the first time that he came was to deal with sin and give himself as a sacrifice. But the next time he comes will be to judge the world. And those who trust in him, those who trust in him will be safe when he returns. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John chapter 10 and verse 28 is another wonderful promise that we see where the one who is, again, in Christ Jesus dwells securely, just as wisdom promises. Verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. This is John chapter 10 and verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the $64,000 question is, are we ready? Are we ready? Are we part of Jesus' fold? Are we part of his church, his kingdom? Does our life belong to him? Have we listened to the call of wisdom, the call of the gospel, and answered it in the affirmative and obeyed it. Paul says in Romans six seventeen that we must obey from the heart, that form of teaching, and he's talking about the gospel. And in that, in doing so, we can be set free from sin and have the hope of heaven and dwell securely in this life with the knowledge of heaven, and we can dwell securely in eternity because we know our God is faithful and true to all of his promises to deliver us. So have you done that? Is your faith in Christ? Have you obeyed the gospel? Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins in John eight twenty four. And when Peter preached that sermon in Acts chapter 2, many people came to believe that Jesus was the Christ. And many of those people were there the day that he was crucified and had a hand in doing so. But they were convicted and they understood that they were in the wrong and they needed to obey Jesus Christ. And in Acts 2, 37 and 38, we see that they were told to repent and they did and they were told to be immersed in water. The Bible calls that baptism and that's exactly what they did for the remission of their sins. And you can do that too. That's what God wants us to do. Submit to his operation and baptism in which he cuts away the old man he removes our sins and he raises us to walk in newness of life so can we assist you in, in some way you can contact us here at the leon valley church of christ via email at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com you can go to our website at leonvalleychurch.org and write us that way there's a place to contact us you can find our phone number there too so i encourage you to do that we'd love to see you sunday morning for services at 10 30 or at 6 p.m 
We'd love to make your acquaintance and see if we can't fulfill a spiritual need that, that you have and help you somehow in your obedience. Please continue to pray about these things. That's what I will do. And I look forward to studying with you again next week here at the same time. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.